Well, we're going to have a study together. Let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kedshenu B'Mitzvotah V'Tzivanu L'Asok B'Divrei Torah Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. At Sukkot, we build Sukkot, right? Huts, booths. Sometimes they're, they're called tabernacles, but um, for many people, they associate the tabernacle with the, the tabernacle of God rather than the booze, the Sukkot, the tabernacle in Hebrew was Mishkan. It was a special tent. And so sometimes when people hear the word tabernacle, they think, oh, it's the Feast of Tents. And everybody loves to go camping and tents and all that. But that is not what a Sukkot, what a Sukkah is or Sukkot is all about. These are huts that are built with branches and with leaves and stuff like that, and palms, which are easy to find in Florida and in many parts of Israel, not so easy to find in the north uh, of any part of the world, really. But when we build Sukkot or any variation on them and we spend time in them, it's, it's a way of reenacting something that helps us celebrate. These are reenactments that give us an active way of learning that reflect the Jewish emphasis on holistic learning. It, it's not enough the Bible teaches us to learn about something. We must learn to do it. Yeshua said, if you hear these words of mine and do them, then you'll be like a wise man who builds his house on rock, and when the storms and the high winds come to your house, your house will stand. So one of the reasons we build a sukkah is to help us celebrate. And these kinds of celebrations are meant to be experiential, to stir things up in us, to raise questions, to be thought-provoking. They help us engage our children who might ask, why do you do this? And that's one of the purposes. Questions like that promote dialogue between the generations. And such celebrations as Sukkot are meant for children and for adults together. So we get the most out of Sukkot and all the Jewish holidays by actually celebrating them and not just learning about them. So I encourage you to consider building your own family Sukkah next year and in the years to come. And Sukkot is also a celebration of the harvest, but if you're not a farmer, then how can you celebrate? You can say, we celebrate the fruit of our labors, a celebration of joy, it's a celebration of happiness. Which begs a question, what makes you happy about being in a hut? Because they're not fancy. This is not a fancy schmancy holiday. It's, it's not a holiday that makes us impressed or stirred up where we say, wow, now I get it. You, you look at a sukkah that's got 
a roof that's flimsy and maybe the whole thing is flimsy. I mean, this room is not the sukkah, but so don't look up here because this is not flimsy. You don't have to worry. This is solid. But you look at uh, a hut, a booth, and, and you say, so what is the point of this? I know we do it, but why do we do it? And I think it's, it's thought-provoking to us that the God of Israel is not trying to impress us about how glorious our architecture can be, but rather he is trying to impress upon our hearts that he will dwell with us all throughout our journey out of slavery into freedom, from freedom into security and stability, and he is with us on the journey, and he is with us through the journey, and he is with us from generation to generation. So during the 40 years in the wilderness, Israel was on a journey, but it wasn't a journey alone, it was a journey with God. And I want to speak this morning about a theme, Sukkot and freedom. So Israel was going from slavery to freedom and from Egypt to the promised land. And Sukkot reminds us of the process, two parts of the process. Part one, get us out of slavery. Part two, get slavery out of us. Sukkot reminds us of the process about both of those parts. Every Sukkot celebration helps us think about this question, what does it take to become free men and women? Sukkot helps us remember Israel had been brought out of Egypt, the land of bondage, and Israel had not returned to bondage, and that was a big deal, to be brought out of bondage and to stay free. When you first get free from any bondage that you're in, it's a huge victory. And when you stay free, it's an even bigger victory. Israel, on many occasions, had to overcome the temptation to go back to Egypt. Moses had to fight the battle several times. Don't go back to Egypt, or you'll be going back to slavery. There were moments when the children of Israel were longing for something else to eat besides manna. Manna, which could loosely be translated, what is it? Manna that was supernaturally provided by the Lord, but had to be picked, gathered, as the Lord directed but it was something the children of Israel got tired of. And there were times when they remembered, oh, the leeks and the garlic. This is like an ancient connection between Jews and Italians. The culinary connection. Or the melons, the melons. To remember with fondness such things can also be an illusion because that land was a land of slavery. It was a land of bondage. It was a land that was associated with the death 
of many newborn children from the Jewish people. Exodus 13, 14 calls Egypt the house of bondage. And it's important for us to recognize that we have Egypt's too. And it's important to recognize it at Sukkot. Don't go back to the places of bondage. You have in the new life in Messiah Yeshua a life of freedom. And so we need to make that personal for us. And we pray as Yeshua taught us, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation. What's one of the temptations? To give up your freedom and to go back to the bondage. We don't want to put ourselves back into temptation. And we each have vulnerabilities that we have to protect ourselves from. And they're different for different people. But I'll go through some examples. The alcoholic. Stay away from the bar. Don't go back to the place where you always got in trouble. For the gambler, stay away from the racetrack. Sometimes, does anybody watch uh, football on TV? Have you noticed that now that you can gamble uh, like more legally in more places, that there are all these offers that you can, you can get like this no-risk opportunity to gamble uh, $5, $200, $1,000. Now, it's no risk for everyone except for the addicted gambler, right? Now, I'm not a gambler, but I found myself being tempted. It's like, I, I could win $1,000? and it's not going to cost me anything out of my pocket, but what would it cost? Ooh, that addiction that can develop when you get the high from winning. So gamblers, stay away from the racetrack. Stay away from, from your TV channel sometimes. <laughs> Be careful. I recognize these places. The shopaholic used to have it easy. You just had to stay away from the shopping center. But now the shopping centers aren't in malls. What's a mall? You know, some kids will ask. I heard the rabbi talk about a mall, Dad. What's that? But, I mean, can I say it? Be careful with Amazon. It's so easy. If you're a shopaholic, be careful. Stay away from online stores. Take the shopping channels off of your favorite list on your remote. Now for the glutton, which is the American believers, one of the American believers' favorite uh, sins of addiction. Uh, here's, here's my recommendation. Stay away from the all-you-can-eat buffets. <laughs> There's something... There's something about those things that makes you want to eat more than you can eat. More than you should eat. Reminds me of when my uncle, Alan Cornblue, was in college. He told me this story. He and a bunch of college 
uh, dormmates, they went to an all-you-can-eat fried chicken buffet. And they ate for hours because they could. They had a bottomless pit of a stomach. My mother would say, they have a hollow leg. That's where it goes. It just fills it up. Well, it got to the point that the manager came over to them and said, I'm giving you your money back. Get out of here. Just go. It was probably too late for the money. But um, these college guys out ate the all-you-can-eat buffet. And they worked it off later. But for the glutton who, who just has no stop on their apostat, be careful with such places. I mean, you get the picture. Each of us has different things that we're tempted by. And when we get freedom in some area, we have to preserve it. And we need to be clear, bondage is not just about places, it's about habits of our heart and our mind, habits associated with our bondage. So Sukkot can remind us we want to really break bad habits. We may need to replace them with good habits. Use your freedom to stay free. Here's some good habits for money. If money always gets away from you, keep your checkbook balanced. That was good advice for, for all of us who had checkbooks. But what if you don't use checkbooks anymore? You write one check a month or one check a week or something like that. Well, if you keep your, if you have a money app like Quicken, how many people use money apps? Congratulations. How many people use checkbooks? Wow. How many people don't know what a check is? <laughs> well, keep, keep your money up to date. Reconcile your bank statement every month. Keep track of what you're doing. That's one of the ways of keeping your freedom when you get freedom. Now, some people uh, have, have a temper. And if you're the kind of person who would blow a gasket and lose your temper with people, here's something you can do, practice being quiet. How do you do that? One of the ways is to keep your mouth closed, your lips shut, when you're angry, and hold your tongue, and that is not literal, though it may need to be sometimes. <laughs> hold your tongue until you get your peace back. That's part of managing a temper. And go take a walk. Take a speed walk if you need to. Take a walk instead of telling someone else to take a hike. You can use your freedom in different ways. Now, if, if you got some freedom for conflict, regarding conflict, and you have the, the pattern not of like an angry display, but a withdrawal, then you may be like a turtle who pulls into your shell during conflict. And you give people the silent treatment. What can you do if you get freedom? Like a turtle, stick your neck out. Engage, communicate, listen, talk things out. It's good for us to remember that relationships
can get stuck in a pattern of bondage, and whenever you get unstuck, try to stay unstuck. When you get free, don't go back to the conditions of your bondage. Don't stay stuck in your past. You're not stuck with your family. You're not the little kid anymore at your family gatherings. You're not stuck in old roles. Well, I'm the big brother, I have to be this, or I'm the kid's sister. You can learn new ways of relating. And this is part of Sukkot and the theme of freedom because the children of Israel got out of Egypt, but it was harder to get Egypt out of them. And I don't mean the culture of Egypt, I mean the slavery and the bondage and the limitations of Egypt. It's important to remember you're not a powerless victim. And falling back into bondage is not inevitable for you. You don't have to think, well, that's just the way I am. You do have freedom. Walk in the freedom that God has purchased for you. John 8, verse 36, says something that's so simple that it makes you wonder, why is it in the Bible? It says, the one who God sets free is free indeed. Another way of saying it is, the one who God sets free is actually free. They're free. So what does that mean? That means that when you become a disciple of Yeshua, when you put your faith in Yeshua, when you turn away from all your efforts to save yourself and you realize you cannot save yourself, that the, the sacrifice that you need is greater than any sacrifice you could pay. And when you recognize that our God provided the sacrifice that we needed that we couldn't provide for ourselves. And this is why we have our trust in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Yeshua. It's important for us to remember this, that the one who God sets free is actually free. The one who who God sets free is actually free. That's the one. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had to remember something. God set them free. God set them free. Galatians 5, verse 1, again, says it in such simple terms it may make you wonder, well, why is that in there? It says this, it is for the sake of freedom that Messiah has set us free. So the one who God sets free is actually free, and it's for the sake of freedom that Messiah has set us free. So that tells us something. There is a life to be lived with freedom. And Sukkot reminds us of that, and that the life that is to be lived has a spiritual component to it and involves God, and that God was with us on the journey. Sukkot reminds us that we can walk in spiritual freedom. Yeshua gave us some keys to spiritual freedom. We can, we can keep our eyes on the Father just like Yeshua did. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. 
This is written in John chapter 5, verse 19, if you're taking notes. The Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So he follows the pattern. And this is very useful for us, especially for people who are um, rule keepers. Tell me the rules. I want to fulfill the rule. Keeping the rules can help you. It can be a big help, sometimes. But keeping our eyes on the Lord is different and will help you learn things about God that are not just based on rules, they're based on him and how he does something. Keeping our eyes on the Lord is what Yeshua teaches us. Another key to spiritual freedom, aim to do God's will. You know this prayer that Yeshua taught us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many times we may pray that habitually by rote without even thinking about it, without even dwelling on uh, who's going to be doing it on earth. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, on earth, you know what that means? Let us do your will, Lord. Let us do your will. That connects with what Yeshua said. I want to do what I see the Father doing. I want to say what I hear the Father saying, and I want to say it and do it in the way he's saying and doing it. And so there's a prayer that comes from the heart that we can put into words like this. I will be your instrument, Father. I will do what pleases you. Have you ever not wanted to pray something because you already had a sense that the answer was not going to be what you wanted it to be? Am, am I alone? I'm not. I, I love those honest ones who can join me in these honest confessions. You know, there are times when we're reluctant to verbalize concretely to the Lord what our prayer is because we have this inner sense already or this knowing where the scripture is like come to us and activated us and yet it's not according to what we want. And so there's a, there's a vulnerability, we all have it, to just think if we don't say it, then, then it will happen. <laughs> if we don't say it, there's no conflict. But there's already the conflict. We've recognized that that's why we're struggling. If we didn't have that conflict, what do we do with it? We offer our own struggle to the Lord. Lord, not my will be done. Your will be done. And we learn not to point the finger at other people, but to point the finger at us. And we say, Lord, I'm struggling here. I want to do your will. I want to. Help me to do your will. There are times when we have to learn to 
aim to do God's will and to pray honestly, sincerely in this way. And I can tell you this, there is victory when we set out to do the will of God. When we decide that we want to discover and accomplish the will of God, there's a victory there. That's a victory all by itself. We can also let spiritual freedom change our prayer life. We can share with the Lord everything we're thinking and feeling. We don't have to bottle things up inside. Sometimes stuff rises up in us that we can only process with the Lord. We can't process it by pushing it down. Pushing it down is, is putting us in the condition of the jack-in-the-box. How many of you know what a jack-in-the-box is? Let me see hands again. I want to see. You know, it's, it's so interesting. It's about half the people know what a jack-in-the-box is. So for those of you who don't know what a jack-in-the-box is, um, I will explain it. But if my explanation isn't good enough, you can ask one of the other people who raised their hand. A jack-in-the-box is a child toy, if you will. And it's, it's got this crank on it. The crank plays a little music. Something like that. And, you know, at least I'm doing Pop Goes the Weasel, sort of. You know, I'm not very musical, and my musical friends are going, Robert, that's not even close. It's a good thing you're not on the worship team. <clears throat> but you've got this crank, and then in this box is like this little coiled-up cartoon character, Jack. He's like a spring object, and... There's a lid, you push Jack down, you close the lid, it latches, and you turn the handle. And you play the music, and at some moment, the latch pops open, Jack pops out. And if you're playing with really little kids, you know, the kids are like, wow, you know, they laugh, and they're so happy, and they say, do it again. And so you just do it again and again and again. But... This idea of just pushing things down is not the spiritual solution. And that's why I say it's like a jack-in-the-box. If you just suppress what you're struggling with, then it's like pushing Jack down and somebody or something in your life is going to turn the crank, is going to turn your crank. And Jack's coming out Maybe when you least expect him or don't want him to. So what's the alternative? When you're free, the alternative is not to suppress or to push down, but rather to express to the Lord your honest feelings and struggles. We don't have to bottle things up inside. We're not just in a relationship that's like a gimme, gimme relationship with the Lord, we're volunteering to do his will. We're not saying, I want this, I want that. We're saying, Lord, I want to do your will, not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord. I want to serve you. And so our prayers can change. And instead of just dishonesty or, or suppression, we ask questions like this, what's on your heart, Father? What would you like me to do? 
What perspective do you want me to have, Lord? What attitude do you want me to have? Have you ever prayed that prayer when you're struggling? I'll tell you in a few minutes what happened with me when I did. What do you want me to know and understand, Father? What, what do you have in mind for me to do to make a difference here, Lord? And I can tell you that God will answer us when we pray like this. And then we can say amen to God instead of trying to get him to say amen to us. Let me tell you a quick story. A few years ago, I was tired of the high holidays and the whole Jewish holiday season. Now, I'm being straight with you, and I've talked to many rabbis and rabbitson, and when we get together and we're honest with each other, we all can acknowledge, yeah, there's some years when it just seems to go too long. <clears throat> well, for several years when Sandy and I lived overseas, we celebrated Sukkot in too many different cities. And I remember celebrating Sukkot in Budapest where we live with our congregation, and then we celebrated with several Hungarian churches which were inspired by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 14 uh, to celebrate Sukkot. And then I remember traveling to different cities in Ukraine to celebrate, and it was like one day, then another. We were on the train or driving like every night. And I was visiting a church one Sunday, and during the worship, the pastor, who was a dear friend, came up to me and asked me to speak to his church about Sukkot. And I was already tired of Sukkot by then. And it was on a Sunday, and it's like, give me a break, would you? I had nothing more to say. I'd said everything I wanted to say. I felt like I had plumbed the depths of Sukkot for that year. I was ready to move on to any other subject. And I told him. I said, please. And he said, no, they, they're ready. They want to hear. And I thought, please. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, I would have been happier to speak about anything else. So... I was murmuring on the inside because there was some time to get ready. This was during worship. And this was my life sometimes where I didn't know that I was going to be asked to speak to uh, a congregation. But there would be moments when I just had to get ready in season or out of season. I remember another moment when I was to speak to uh, a church about the, uh, outre the Jewish, Messianic Jewish outreach festival we were going to do in their city. And I was supposed to make like an announcement and to recruit some volunteers. And the, the pastor said, five minutes. And so I got like five minutes clear in my mind. And during worship, something happened that was spiritual. And we could all sense it and he came up to me and he said, can you speak for an hour? And I said, yes. 
but I was only prepared for five minutes. And so, you know, you just have to get ready. It doesn't always work that way. I was at a Hungarian church once, and the past, this was a Baptist Hungarian church, and, and the pastor asked if I would bring greetings. And so I didn't know what that meant, but I did the best I could. I stood up, and I brought greetings from our congregation to his congregation, and then I sat down. It took about 60, 70 seconds, something like that. And he was shocked because it was supposed to be for like 10 or 15 minutes. I didn't know that. I didn't know the rules. So that was my life. You know, it's like, well, you just have to be prepared and do the best you can. Sometimes you get it right. Well, at that Sukkot moment, at that church, I was murmuring on the inside. And the Lord opened something up to me about Sukkot that I'd not understood. And I'll tell you how he did it. He showed me how stinking bad my attitude was. That was the first part. And it was like this. You've got a rotten attitude. And I thought, I know. I don't want to talk about Sukkot. <laughs> I was not dishonest. And then he showed me the darkness in my heart. And that wasn't a shock to me. I thought, I know. But then, this was what was so new. He helped me recognize his humility. And this is how he did it. He said, so that's where I'm supposed to live, in your heart? In that dark place? And I thought, yeah. Yeah. And it was a moment where I recognized the humility of God. That this is what we invite him into. You know, Lord, I invite you into my heart. It's like, oh great, another dark place to live. For the Lord. That's where he comes to live. And we're making this dark heart a little sanctuary for the Lord. That's what we're doing. But it's not impressive to him. Do you get it? It's a dark heart. Let's just be honest. Now, he does circumcise our hearts. He does clean us. It's a work, and we are always a work in progress, no doubt. But we're not offering him some grand prize. Lord, here's your prize for today, me. And yet, this humble God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the master of the universe, the one who speaks and calls things into being, who calls things that are not as though they were. The one who said, light be, yehi or. Just by speaking, light came into existence. This is the God who we serve. And Sukkot reminds us of the humility of God that he would take a, a nation that found itself in slavery, in distress, in great trouble, 
and bring us out of the land of bondage. And that he would tell us, live in shacks, in huts, in shanties that you make for yourself with the branches and the leaves and the boughs of what you can find there from the trees and the palms. And I will be with you. That's the humility of our God. I'll be with you. I'll live in your dark heart. I'll live in your flimsy shack. I'll live with you. And when we grasp the humility of God, then we understand that when he made that decision, these people cannot save themselves. It's impossible. No matter how much instruction I give them, they cannot do it. I will do it. And he chooses to come down and be born in the most shocking of ways to an unwed mother. so that he could be a kinsman redeemer. That's our, that's our God. That's our Lord. That's our Messiah. The great and mighty God is also the humble God. The almighty God who lives in the high and exalted and holy places also comes down to live with the contrite and the lowly. That's our God. And Sukkot is supposed to stir up some questions that we would not get lost in the technicalities. How do you make a sukkah? How do you do this? Because the how-to is only part of it. The why-to and the what-for is what will pass on. Sukkot also helps us say, you know what? I guess I am worthless, but not to God. I can't save myself. I don't have the means to do it. But God loves me enough that he would save me because he values me. Because I'm made in his image and he wants to restore me. That's his purpose. He doesn't desire that any would perish. That's not his purpose. His purpose is that everyone would find eternal life with him. There you go. Sukkot. So it was because my pastor friend insisted I speak about Sukkot, and that made me exhausted to think about. And because I had such a bad attitude, and because I was honest with him and with the Lord about it, and I was just murmuring inside, but honestly to the Lord, and saying, Lord, please get me out of this. 
I don't want to do this. It was at that moment that the Lord showed me his humility and opened up Sukkot in a way that had not been opened to me prior to that. And so I thank him for bringing me to the place of my own bad attitude. I'm not ashamed of that. That's the process that God uses. That's why I'm telling you. If you're ashamed of your own bad attitudes, you can't bring them to the Lord. Instead, you can have honesty with the Lord. I got a rotten attitude, Lord, and you don't justify it. You don't try to keep it. You bring it to him. Help me. And he may help you in a way you don't want to be helped to do what you don't want to do, so that you can become what you do want to become. Last thoughts at Sukkot, God wants us to remember that he was with us the whole time our people lived in huts in the wilderness. Leviticus 23, 43 says it this way, so that, there you go, Eric, painter, so that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He was glad to be with us during that time. And now the Holy Spirit lives inside the disciples of Yeshua and the Lord still showing us his humility. And that helps us so that we can think about the connection we have between ourselves and the generations ahead. The generation that was brought out of Egypt did not go into the promised land. You know that. But the generation that was brought out of Egypt gave birth to the generation that went into the promised land. The generation that came out of Egypt went forward, and then the next generation went even further and think about it, the, the second generation, the one, the one that was born in the wilderness, they always lived in Sukkot. This was normal for them. But then they went into the promised land and they built houses and cities and a society. And Sukkot helps us think about what we can give to the next generation. Not just what we could achieve ourselves, but ask this question, what do you make possible for others to do? Who's coming behind you? Who's following in your footsteps? Who's standing on your shoulders? A good question to ask is, what do you see? What do you see that will take more than one lifetime to establish or secure? What are you working for that will be finished by other generations? This whole idea of the connected work of many generations is a key to understanding the Jewish people and to understanding the focus on education and family and work and culture. And Sukkot reminds us we're not alone on the journey. We have God's leadership. We have God's presence. We go with God's community. We go from one place to another. God is with us and he's calling us to simplicity because God is with us even in unsteady times. We're a people on the move and God is with us on the journey. 
and during the time of transition. So much could be said. When you think about freedom, think about Yeshua's words on Sukkot. John 7, 37, on the last and most important day of the Feast of Sukkot, Yeshua was standing in the temple courtyard and he said loudly, whoever is thirsty, come to me to drink. As the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from deep within that person who believes in me. Yeshua said this about the spirit whom his disciples would receive. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your humility and your love that you're with us during times of change and transition and instability and uncertainty. And yet you know your plans, which are many. And you know the future of good and not harm. And you know what you want to perform that will take our lifetime and the lifetime of those after us. We want to be faithful to you. We want to honor you with our lives now and the way we spend ourselves on behalf of future generations. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. But in just a few minutes, we're going to go outdoors. Everyone who wants to participate will be able to wave the lulav and etrog. We'll take turns, of course. And then we'll have a special Israeli picnic lunch with falafel and pita and hummus, which in English is hummus. But when I say hummus, I think of soil. When I think of hummus, I think of food, pita, salads, and more. And then next week, remember that we will have a special Simchat Torah celebration, a little delayed, but on Shabbat, as is our custom, we'll take turns carrying the Torah scroll, the Haf Torah scroll. And if you say a Torah scroll is too big and heavy for you, no problem. The Haf Torah scroll is smaller, lighter, and easier to carry. And we'll help you. And then we'll roll the Torah scroll back to the beginning. It's going to be a wonderful time. So we're going to close right now with Aaron's blessing. And um, for those of you on live stream, just a question. Would you consider blessing our ministry? If this ministry is a blessing to you, you can get all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. Let's close with Aaron's blessing and allow the blessing of God to be upon us. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and guard you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine brightly on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.